We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, these things God prepared for those who love him. For God has revealed them to us by his Spirit. The Spirit teach, searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit within? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from God, the Spirit of God, but it considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord is so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So whenever I was a kid, the church that I attended was adamant, and I mean absolutely adamant, that we learn Scripture. And so we were expected from the, the time we were very small to learn all of the books of the Bible, both the Old and the New Testaments. We had to memorize them in order. And then we were supposed to memorize all sorts of other things. We were supposed to memorize all the different kind of facts that took place in the Bible. We were expected to memorize memory verses, and then as we got older, we were supposed to memorize entire passages of the Bible so that we could be well-versed in biblical things. Now, this all sounds like a really great idea, but you see, there was a problem to this approach. What we ended up doing was we ended up memorizing a bunch of knowledge without really understanding what it was that we had memorized. Now, the thing is, I've told y'all this before, I was not a very good student at learning all of this stuff that we were supposed to learn at church, all the facts and all the memory verses and all that stuff. I was never the star pupil that they marched to the front of the church and let me recite a bunch of stuff. They did not want me at the front of the church. I was a disappointment to them. And so one Sunday, I remember sitting in Sunday school, and the teacher, he told us, he said, let's all turn to John. And so we did. We grabbed our Bibles. All the guys in class were sitting there. I was about 13 years old. And we start flipping through the Bibles, and they're all searching for it. I didn't know where John was in the Bible, to be honest with you. I had no idea. But I did learn one thing to help me out in this thing. I had learned fairly early on that at the top of the pages, it has the name of the book of the Bible. And so I was looking for John at the top of the page. So I'm flipping like page by page, going through this Bible, looking for John written at the very top of the page. Well, the other guys, they all found the, the place very quickly because they knew their stuff. They found the chapter and the verse in John. Well, I was starting to panic because I was the last one flipping my pages as quickly as I possibly could. And everyone else in class was sitting there staring at me while I was trying to get, it, get to that right book. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of my panic, a miracle took place. Because right at their very top of the page it said, John. 
And so I immediately grabbed a hold of it and I flipped over to the right chapter and verse and I was so proud of myself, I sat back ready to study this chapter with the rest of the guys. And then the teacher looked at me. Dustin, would you mind reading for us this morning? Well, I didn't mind. I had it, right? So I confidently began reading right there from John, and I barely finished reading the first sentence when all of a sudden the teacher, he stopped, and he abruptly stopped and sternly said, What in the world are you reading? Well, I began to hesitate and, and stammer. I, I, I'm reading John. One of the students who was sitting across from me, he then grabbed my Bible and pulled it across the table, flipped it around, and immediately said, he's in 1 John, not John. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. I could have melted in the floor. And I tell you right now, I had no idea there was more than one John in the whole Bible. That's how lame I was. I knew nothing about all of this. I had obviously failed as a Bible student in that church. Now, it wasn't until many, many years later that I heard something that made complete sense to me. I, I was talking to a friend of mine, and she was talking about this guy that we both knew. She had known him her entire life. I had only known him a couple of years, and he is a hardcore Bible person. Like, he knows it all. He'd have been a great member of that church, by the way. Anyway, she said, Dustin, he knows the Bible extremely well, but he doesn't know God. He doesn't know God's grace. And so when she said that, it just completely resonated all the way to the depths of my soul because that's what had been missing for so many years in my understanding of the Bible, in my understanding of God, in my understanding of what salvation is all about. I had, we had been told we had to know all of this biblical knowledge and we had allowed it to then take the place of really knowing the Bible. And you see, that's what Paul is trying to get us to understand this morning. He says, yet among the mature, we do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish. But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So you see, Paul, he's taking us down this path here in this letter to the church there in Corinth. He's taking us to the very next level of understanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, now we've talked about this before. As we know, the, the world around us, they, they view what God did through Jesus, who is his son, they regard that as pure folly. They, they look at the, the cross as being pure foolishness. It's pure weakness on God's part. And yet, when you and I, we, we come to believers' faith, we leave behind all of that worldly wisdom, and instead we are seeking God's wisdom. It's the kind of wisdom that, that goes much, much deeper than what most of us ever realize. You see, God's wisdom, it, it's not concerned about the minutia. God, God's wisdom isn't focused on how many Bible passages that we memorize, whether we know the books of the Bible in order, or, or even if we can identify who the founder of the city of Samaria was. God's wisdom, church. God's wisdom is much much deeper than that. 
Essentially, God's wisdom is centered on the cross of Jesus. It's focused on the mystery of the gospel, that that mystery that is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And and it can only be understood by people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, or as Paul says, those who are spiritual. Now, in order to understand all of this, this contrast, we need to back up a little bit. So we're going to back up to whenever Jesus was out there preaching and teaching. So one of the main things that he was talking about and trying to accomplish as he was out there preaching and teaching the people was he wanted to help the people who claimed God to see that they were actually lacking God's wisdom. In Matthew chapter 5, we have the beginning, we have what is at the beginning of known as the Sermon on the Mount. And most biblical scholars will tell us that this sermon is probably the one that Jesus gave the most often as he was traveling around. It's recorded both in Matthew and Luke, but I can almost guarantee you those were not the only two times he preached that sermon. So we get into Matthew chapter 5, and the first section is called the Beatitudes. We get past all of that into the meat of the message, and then we get to a series of what I call You Have Heard Statements, or statements kind of like them. These are the statements. You have heard that you shall not murder. You have heard that you shall not commit adultery. It's said whoever divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. You have heard not to bear false witness. You have heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And then he gives the final you have heard statement. It's the capstone statement here. He says, you have heard love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So Jesus, he, he takes all of this worldly wisdom that we all know, the, the wisdom that, of what we have heard, and then he says, this is godly wisdom. I say unto you, I say, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be judged and liable to the hell of fire. I say that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery. I say that anyone who divorces his wife commits adultery. I say, do not swear at all. I say, do not resist an evildoer. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the left also. I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, Jesus, he he essentially takes all of these I say statements and he lays them down on the foundation of what Jesus identifies as the two greatest commandments. It's what we here at Aldersgate recite every single Sunday. We call it the Jesus Creed. Y'all say it with me. You don't need a screen, I promise you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and... Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, godly wisdom, it it centers in on relationships. The relationships that we have with one another. Godly wisdom, it, it insists that it matters. And I'm telling you, church, it matters a great deal to God how people treat one another. And so retaliating out of anger or calling another person names is not okay. And lusting after people, it's not okay. Divorcing people just because, it's not okay. Only telling the truth, if you have placed your hand on a Bible and swore to tell the truth under oath, is not okay. Getting revenge on people is not okay. And here's the thing, hating anyone, even if they are our enemy, is not okay. 
You see, godly wisdom, it, it means that we have to relearn to see this world the way that God already sees the world. It means when we see people, when we see them eye to eye, it means that we see God's greatest creation standing there right in front of us. Godly wisdom means that, that we understand that, that love is not a feeling. Love is a command. Love is an action. Love is, is something tangible. It's not just something that makes us feel good about ourselves sometimes. And so when we sit down and, and we read through the Sermon on the Mount, if we're honest with ourselves, we realize very quickly how much we have missed the mark. There's not a single one of us who is able to live out those high expectations that God has now set out for us. Because when we get angry, we sometimes fly off the handle, don't we? And sometimes when we see someone we find attractive, we lust in our hearts. And sometimes we get so frustrated with other people, we end up calling them names. And whether we like it or not, divorce is part of our culture. But you see, none of that, none of that matter, matters. It, it doesn't mean that, that we get to just come up here and water all of this stuff down. Those expectations are still there. But what it does mean, church, every single one of us are in this sin boat together. Every single one of us need Jesus. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. So in our Wesleyan understanding of the Holy Spirit's role in our life, godly wisdom, it, it is imparted to us as we have received the Holy Spirit when we became Jesus' followers. We call that justification. Some churches stop there, but we don't. We say there's another step because it doesn't stop. The, the Spirit continues to work with us. The, the Spirit continues to form us and to shape us and to transform us into the image of God. He, he's bringing that godly wisdom into us. We call that sanctification. And so as we grow in our spiritual wisdom, we begin to understand the deeper things of God. In this growth, it, it begins to, to slowly make more sense to us. It makes sense now why telling the truth at all times is important or, or how calling other people names is worse than what we might have first thought it was because we understand, we, we come to understand that when we do those things, when we lie about other people or whenever we call them names, it dehumanizes people. We take this image that God has placed so lovingly into every single person, and we make fun of it, we malign it, we even hate it. But God is there. You see, worldly wisdom, it can't understand that. Worldly wisdom cannot discern who God is or what God's up to. And that's why Paul begins this passage by reminding us that those rulers, all those people that had authority back in the first century, 
if they had understood who Jesus is, they would have never crucified him. But they didn't. All they had was worldly wisdom. And so those rulers, they all got together and they chose to kill and destroy. Now here's the thing. There's a really good explanation out there. And it was written by C.S. Lewis. He, he wrote about this in his novel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you've never read the book, I encourage you to do it. This book is basically a, a retelling of the gospel story of Jesus. But in this book, Jesus is a lion named Aslan, and Satan is another person in the book. She's known as the White Witch. And the White Witch, she tricks a little boy, his name is Edmund, into doing something that he shouldn't do. And so in order to release Edmund from the punishment that he deserves, Aslan agrees to take his place. Now the White Witch, she's ecstatic about this because now she's going to win. She thinks if she can kill Aslan, then she will be able to rule the world without any kind of interference from anyone. And so she takes her minions and they tie Aslan up and they humiliate him. They shave his mane off. They eventually stab him and kill him all on top of this stone table. Edmund has a couple of sisters, Lucy and Susan, and, and they, they watch this entire horrific scene unfold in front of them, and they're devastated when they realize Aslan is dead. The next morning, these sisters, they, they don't know what to do, so they gather their things and they begin to leave. And as they walk away from the stone table and the dead lion, listen to what happens next. At that moment, they heard from behind them a loud noise, a great cracking, deafening noise as if a giant had broken a giant's plate. What's that, said Lucy, clutching Susan's arm. I feel afraid to turn around, said Susan. Something awful is happening. They're doing something worse to him, said Lucy. Come on, and she turned, pulling Susan around with her. The rising of the sun had made everything look so different. All the colors and shadows were changed that for a moment they didn't see the important thing. Then they did. The stone table was broken into two pieces by a great crack that ran down it from end to end, and there was no Aslan. Oh, cried the two girls, rushing back to the table. Oh, that's too bad, sobbed Lucy. They might have left the body alone. Who's done it, cried Susan. What does it mean? Is it more magic? Yes, said a great voice behind their backs. It is more magic. And they looked around, and there, shining in the sunrise, larger than they had seen him before, shaking his mane, for apparently it had grown again, stood Aslan himself. Oh, Aslan, cried the children, staring up at him, almost as much frightened as they were glad. Aren't you dead then, dear Aslan, said Lucy? Not now, said Aslan. You're not a, you're not a, asked Susan in a shaky voice. She couldn't bring herself to say the word ghost. Aslan, he stooped his golden head and licked her on the forehead. The warmth of his breath and the rich sort of smell that seemed to hang about his hair came all over her. Do I look it, he said. Oh, you're real, you're real. Oh, Aslan, cried Lucy, and both girls flung themselves upon him and covered him with kisses. But what does all of this mean, asked Susan, when they were somewhat calmer? 
It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who has committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. Well, church, this deeper magic that Lewis is talking about here and then this godly wisdom that, that Paul talks about, they're the same thing. The world can only understand so much. But in order to, to understand things like true and abundant life and, and deep relationships and the riches of love, we must have godly wisdom. And God desires us to have godly wisdom. Now the thing is, I don't understand everything. I, I have a lot of questions about those, the stuff that Jesus taught us. I have a lot of questions about who God is and what it even means to be a part of his kingdom. But what I do understand is you see, I, I understand how I feel when I do certain things versus how I feel when I do other things. When I let my anger get the best of me and when I don't watch my tongue and I talk ugly about people or call them names or when I choose arrogance and, and pride, I don't like that person. I don't feel good about what I'm doing or who I am. I don't feel good about how I have made other people feel about themselves. But then the opposite is true too. When I give generously and when I allow myself time to actually get to know people at a much deeper level, whenever I get to sit down and hear people's stories and find out who they are, and whenever I choose humility or whenever I do the things that I know I'm supposed to be doing, I like the way it makes me feel. I like sensing God's presence in these holy moments of life. And so in my experience, leaning into godly wisdom, it's this, this lifelong quest that we call sanctification. And that's the whole point that Paul has here. The true wisdom of God, it, it's opened up to all of us once we have received the Holy Spirit. And we may never understand everything in the Bible, because, but because of God's love and because of God's compassion for us, even if we don't know the books in order, then we get a chance to catch just a small, small glimpse of God when we live out His wisdom in the world around us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may the peace and grace of Jesus be with you today. Amen.